Welcome back to another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. My name is Mike, also known as the Used Book Guy on YouTube, along with my friend and fellow full-time reseller, Johnny B. We help people start and grow their reselling businesses from the ground up. We also have a weekly Zoom call and private Discord for all YouTube members. Head on over to youtube.com backslash usedbookguy to join the channel and gain access to the full-length podcast, Zoom call, and private Discord today. Let's get into this week's episode. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Reseller's Mindset Podcast. Mike, alongside Johnny, as always, we have a pretty fun topic to cover today. And since we've been reselling for you know years and years, we've basically been reselling since we were toddlers, babies. Um, we've we've come across people that surefire ways you can fail at reselling. So we're going to talk about some of those traps today, and have like how do we navigate them when we hit that point, and you know what are some things that are like you're guaranteed to fail reselling. I'm going to throw the first one out there, and it might seem stupid, but I know a lot of people have this. It's not listing the stuff you buy, right? Me and Johnny can go to their stores. We can buy tractor trailers full of books, CDs, DVDs. But if they never leave the tractor trailer when they get back and they sit out in the back, you know, shed, barn, yard, whatever you have going on, you never make any money. And that's it. You're done. I mean, as, as simple as it sounds, a lot of people get stuck with death piles. And I'll be the first to admit, when I used to do eBay and I was an everything seller, Johnny, my death pile was a mess. Deb hated me because it, it was literally a pile. It wasn't, there was no queue system. There's no like nice stacks on the table. It's like throw it to the corner. It hits both walls, lands in the corner. And that is the death pile. So it is kind of like a fitting term for a death pile. But what's your take? You know, because you took eBay a lot more seriously than me when it comes to like death piles versus queues, right? Because people will be like, well, that's my queue pile. Is there like a formula for like your queue pile? Like what, at what point does your queue pile turn into a death pile? Is it like your draft bank times 10 or like, is there some kind of secret formula out there? I mean, I think there is, and it has to do with the pre-processing of sorting, sorting your, your good, your death pile more or less to go into the queue. If you just grab a handful of the death pile and try to list that you're in for a world of pain. Um, if we just talk about books, I mean, I, I'll extrapolate to CDs and DVDs too, but books, if I, if I grab a pile and then I sort that pile uh, either by publisher or by author or by genre and then go do, and then put them in like piles, the makes my photography a lot easier, makes the listing a lot, makes every, makes the day a lot easier, but it's that upfront work. Now, the more granular I do it, the easier my listing day. So if I can get the holy trinity of publisher, author, and genre, easy day of listings. Now extrapolating that to DVDs, grabbing a pile of DVDs, I'm probably going to be in for a slower day than, okay, I grab a pile of DVDs, action, drama, comedy, or, hey, here's an act, here's the action Schwarzenegger Van Damme pile. Um, and then they're all from, I don't know, Fox all action Fox, Schwarzenegger, Van Damme movies. Um, CDs, same deal. Uh, grab a pile. Oh, here's jazz. Here's opera. Here's heavy metal. And then the subsequent bands they go in and then the subsequent, uh, what are they called? Record labels, record companies that they go in. You do that, you're in a, for a lot better day. But this applies to everything. And back to uh, being an everything seller. I mean, I was a little bit more organized than you. I had storage lockers that were nicely organized by here's the glassware. Here's, I don't know, 
sewing patterns. Here's um books because books were in everything as well. Here's clothes. Here's shoes. So I had them separate, but I had multiple storage units because I would go to these estate sales and I'd be like, I'll take it all. Just flat out, I'll take it all. Um, don't do this. I learned a lot and I learned a lot what I never want to do again. <laughs> do you think like I, I I mean, I know my answer to this. Too much inventory too early in your reselling journey is a surefire way to sink. Oh, your I thought shit. I was hot shit and I could do that. <laughs> I thought I was the I I thought I was the shit man. I'll do this. Yeah, no problem. It's uh no, it's, never it's, again. I think starting out, it appeals a lot of inventory appeals a lot more when you first start out because you're like, "Whoa, I'm going to be a billionaire," right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. "Look at all this stuff," right? Like you said, you're like, you walking around, you got that swagger in your step and everything and it's like and then it hits you in the face. And I I I was the same way, right? I'm like, "Oh, if I can get, you know, a Gaylord of books or DVDs or CDs. And now nowadays I'm like, I don't want no parts of that. You kind of develop into understanding the the time and processes it takes to be efficient at that scale. And I think starting out, a lot of people are so attracted to kind of like what you did, right? You walk in, you say, give me everything you got. I'll give you pennies on the dollar. And then all of a sudden you got everything and you don't know where you're going from there. No, it was a headache. And I mean, though I was organizing and I was doing it the best I could as an everything seller, my profit per hour, all that pre-processing, because even then I was doing pre-processing, it was just too much. I mean, what I was doing, I would really need a team to do, not as a solo guy, to do it effectively and profitably. But me doing it solo, I was probably... I don't know. I was making like a Starbucks employee was kind of wage, which is okay, but it's not great. Um, and I think the more narrow down on what you can do, you could just be a media guy or you could just be a books guy instead of, I don't know, an antique mall person or an auction house. They get everything right. And yeah, they can make money with it. And some of them can make a lot of money. And the people that I do see make a lot of money doing those kind of things. Again, they have a team of people to do that processing because when we see all this pile of stuff all we see is dollar signs right just money money yeah there's money in it but when you divide that money up by x amount of hours there's very little money per hour um that you're going to get back as far as your rate of return on time spent overhead cost man i think yeah i i'm going to kind of bake overhead costs into exaggerated purchases when you first start reselling because it's kind of i'm going to include it into it right how many people <clears throat> i guess i'm going to come for the newer resellers here maybe the last three years of reselling uh how many people now before they even start reselling johnny they need the rollo they need the dime they need uh the the fanciest you know uh light box to take photos they need everything that's top of the line. Listen, when I was reselling, when I started, I had one of those crappy HP printers I got for like 20 bucks from Walmart. Um, I was literally taping the labels on. I wasn't using the sticky back shipping labels, things like that. Um, and that's just kind of, that's not even the overhead of like a storage unit or the cost of running your business, the electricity you use. Maybe you have internet, maybe you have a, uh, you know, a shed you ran or a, a store like yourself. Why do, what is the big deal with like, I need the fanciest, coolest stuff. 
and they haven't even sold a single item yet. That irritates me to, I have, to the end I have of an Earth. answer for this, and I don't want you to take this personally, Mike, but before you join a group to ask questions, because let's just say you're watching a ton of YouTube videos, because that's usually how people start out. On each one of those videos, everybody has a referral links to all these things you must buy. And you must have them all, apparently, because here's the list of things you need to be a reseller. And again, don't take this personally, Mike, because I know you have one, too. <laughs> but they don't know. They don't need to get that stuff right away, and they certainly don't need to buy it all right away. They think they do. Everybody thinks they do because they don't know any better because either they don't ask the person doing the videos, hey, do I need this stuff, all this stuff right now? They don't ask that question. They just buy it because, hey, here's the links. Of the Here's the list. The list is on every video. I need to have everything on this list because it's a list. That's you're so right. I'm guilty as charged, dude. Lock me up. I, throw I don't, away the key. don't take offense. You got to make your money too, boo boo. But Lock me it's up. Okay. Throw away the key. Um, I do think it is crazy though that the times we live in that people are willing to spend so much money before any type of proof of concept of how things work, and that's just the bells and whistles. I mean, even nowadays, like whenever Deb's shopping for like new dymo labels for us like she's looking for the cheapest deal every single time right I'm, she's just not clicking on a link and buying stuff and i think people that stuff adds up man like you were talking about you bought like forty thousand labels you know this uh, amazon labels the other day it's like at as you grow these expenses grow with you and if you don't keep track of them you're not making no money and people don't take this into consideration listen Everybody out there, I made a hundred bucks today. Are they factoring in all the supplies? Or I made a, a thousand bucks this month. Are you really factoring in your supplies, your utilities, your rent, things like that? Like they're not doing that. And just not understanding your overhead cost. And listen, I'll say it again. The storage unit life, the shed life, it ain't nothing to be out here, you know. Oh, look, I got a storage unit like. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. When I got one, I needed one. I should have got one, you know, probably a year before I did. But like, yeah, I was like, oh, cool. I got a storage unit. And I finally made it. And now I'm like, you don't want to be the storage unit guy. You know, you know what it's like? It's like, and everybody's seen these action movies where they talk about Vietnam War. Man, I was in the shit. You don't know this. It's a lifestyle thing. And it's like, cool. And it's trendy. But they went through a lot of hell and turmoil to be able to make that statement. Do you necessarily need to go through all that hell and turmoil to be cool? And what's with being cool anyway? I care about money. Money's cool to me. Being 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 cool and having no money, that that's no. I'm sorry. That, that's that is literally what the trade-off is. It's like, I don't know, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Like you have to do everything everybody else does or if you if you stray from the path a little bit, it's like, well, no, like you know, I'm an automatic loser because I don't have the $75 ring scanner that Mike has. I always tell everybody, you can get a cheap ring scanner for like five bucks when you first start reselling. See if this is something you want to do. Spend five bucks on eBay, get a little cheap one used. Boom, you're good to go. You don't need to be doing this crazy, these crazy investments like right from the beginning. I, I have a friend and she actually listens to this and, and she'll know who she is because she knows I'm about to make this story. Uh, she lives... Um, in a nameless state, and I won't name her name, but she knows who she is, so the names have been obstructed to um, <laughs> the innocence. Some law and order spiel there. But anyway, um, where she goes, there's a lot of people that resell full-time, but they live out of their cars. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. 
um, and they're making it a lifestyle and they think they're living a good life. But in my opinion, they're living out of their cars. That is not. I, I think you're cool amongst your peers that are also doing that, but you got to realize you're at the end of the day, you're living out of your car. Yeah, but I mean, the trade-off is, listen, I'm defending this person, whoever they are. Because me and Dev always talk about when we get older, we're going to buy Winnebago and travel the countryside, right? So the trade-off is, if I told you today, Johnny, that you could, I mean, this is per this is the perfect example. I'm glad you brought this up. What is the overhead cost for somebody who's traveling out of their car versus somebody who's got three storage units? Maybe they rent a place. That overhead cost is so low, but... I get True. what you're saying here because you're trading off, you're sacrificing a lot to to live out the car and make money. That you have to be tactical in that approach, right? If I told myself I'm gonna go live live out of one of those Sprinter vans, right? Like, I mean, these cars are souped up pretty nice. I've seen the YouTube videos. Um, that's you that's an excellent counterpoint you're making. Uh, you can save true. a lot of money, dude. Like, if I said you could go on the road for the next two three years, you're gonna travel the country, you're gonna make a crap ton of money. You could probably argue that you could put away, you know, hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars in your pocket because your only expense is literally maybe your gym membership so you can shower and your gas and your vehicle maintenance versus, you know, having a mortgage or renting a place. Um, I think with those people, that has to be the approach. I don't think it's like, oh, you can just fiddle faddle around. Like, I'm just doing this for fun. I think you gotta have like an end game of if I'm gonna do that, if you're gonna send me out today, Johnny, on my way, I got my little my stick and my bag on the end of my stick, like I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to do this for two years, but this is going to get me to a point where I can retire or I can have a boatload of money where I can go buy a house in cash and then I don't have no expenses overhead and I kind of can coast out the rest of my life. I think that is the approach you have to have because you can easily, then all of a sudden you wind up on the road for 50 years, right? And you got nothing to show for it. Like that's what you don't want to be. Now, I don't know if he listens to this, but the best success story I've ever heard of somebody doing this, honestly, is Avery, um, Romer the Romer. He did that when he started. He was the road warrior driving from town to town, gutted his car so he could sleep in it, and he would just pack a box. Uh, he'd buy stuff, pack his box, send it out that day. Maybe occasionally do an Airbnb uh, if he bought too much kind of deal. Um, and just send, send, send. And then he's, he's transitioned beyond that. He does software. He does courses now. Um, runs a very successful, uh, whatever his split half, the restrictedinventory.com thing. So he's got a lot of good things going for him. But he did his initial start was getting that capital uh, to be able to do all these software development businessy things. I think he did it a very smart way. I don't think he planned to make that transition because he was like, what, 18, 19 at the yeah, time? He was young. All that. Uh, but he had no expenses, essentially, other than gas and cost of goods, um, and he just traveled the country doing that. I think if you have if you have the luxury of doing that, that's a great way to do it. And you can extrapolate to people who don't want the road warrior life. You can transition your eBay money to other things, just as Mr. Avery did, um, or Romer, as people call him. Um, I think I think that is the best example of what we're talking about is, is him his, his his origin story if you go back to his earlier videos and see what he's doing if you're listening to this and yeah that's my jam i got no responsibilities hey i'm 20 years old go for it man and go for it people you love need. traveling i'm yeah. i'm not a i'm not huge on traveling i'm honestly kind of like a homebody like i like being at home every single night so like traveling for me isn't like something that appeals to me even 
even if Johnny's like, hey, I'm going to fly you down here. I'm going to put you up in a five-star hotel and be like, nah, Johnny, I'm good. Like, uh, we'll, we'll meet up on different terms. Right? Why don't you come to me? I'll be like, Johnny, I'll pay for you to come to me. That's kind of the person I am. But I do think I wouldn't do that today. But in my 20s, I'd probably jump on that bandwagon. It is crazy to think like that would be such a huge opportunity um, for free. I mean, I think it goes both ways. I think people middle-aged like that. I don't think it's, it appeals as much to the middle age as it does to people that are young or people that are coming up on retirement. I think those that's kind of like the sweet spot for those yeah, reselling uh, travelers. Cheryl, uh, she has her little camper and she, or she has plans to do the whole camping reselling lifestyle while running her tax business. She's another good example uh, to your point of uh, the older audience doing that uh, on the retiree side. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Us guys in the middle, we're like, we want our we want our little bit of comforts, right? We're, yeah, we like our routine. We don't like anything dinking with it. Yeah, you know, like we don't want to don't want to travel the world yet, right? You know, like we're we're trying to get there. I think I, like it transitions. I get Aladdin and Jasmine carpet ride. I could show you the world. It transitions into not spending your time properly is another way you are going to lose at reselling very 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 fast. Your time has to be. I'm not going to say, you know, like Johnny's a, he's crazy with time. This dude's got like his, his whole life is scheduled out in front of him here. Uh, every, every hour, every day, he gets a little notification of what he's got to do. Right. Um, but I do think a lot of people, they just half-ass things, man. And they don't care if they don't value their own time. And it drives me crazy because I think to myself, time is like, it's the most important thing we have. Right. And even us, you know, being thirties, I still think time, like, I don't want to just be in my reselling business all day, every day. I enjoy, you know, being, having these calls, hopping on the Zoom calls with everybody, spending time, you know, comment on YouTube, doing YouTube, but I don't want to be the 60, 80 hour a week reseller. And I think it's almost as if people think a certain way when I tell them, hey, I got my business down to like 20 to 25 hours every single week. And I think it kind of like, People think to themselves, well, you're not even full time, dude. Like you're a loser because I'm doing it 60 hours a week. And my argument always is, well, how much money are you making in comparison to me? You want to break down, you know, like what's your hourly rate? But I do think just the overall talk of how much time you spend in the business, it's like, it's almost like a badge of honor, right? Like it's a, it's another badge on your belt. It's like, well, I work on my business 60 hours a week and you're a loser if you don't. No, exactly right. And same with like your listing goal or how many boxes you're sending out. Um, I do think both those things translate into money. Sure. Um, another another key point uh, on our main topic here, I I see people, they have a laundry list of things they want to do and they never finish anything. Um, and then they always try to play this perpetual catch up and that bites them. So here here's some advice. Um, yeah, everybody has a laundry list of things to do. Sure. Order, make a priority order for the day and whatever you don't finish rolls over to the next day until everything's done. Um, now there'll be some mandatory need to get it done every, every day, especially for your eBay people. You need to get your quota up for the day, or if you're Amazon seller, your box out for the week or boxes out for the week. Sure. But barring that everything else is manageable. And let it roll over. Because if you try to play catch up, you're going to always be perpetually behind. It just stacks and you're, you'll never get ahead. So if you don't finish something, and especially things that throw you off, like the electricity going out, 
or let's just say inventory labs being down for a day or more that happened this week. Um, it's okay. Let it be okay. It's annoying and it's frustrating to you, especially people like me who I need to get this done, but I can't get this done. It's out of my control. I can't stand it. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of it, but I need to let it go. Um, and move on with my next day. Do I need to pay, play catch up with the amount of boxes I couldn't send out that day? No. No, I do not. I just, it's a new day. So I'm going to do my quota for that day. I'm not going to do yesterday's quota and today's quota and work myself to 2 a.m. Because that's going to throw off the next day because I'm going to be tired and I'm going to drag. It, it's diminishing returns when you try to do that. Yeah, it's and it also kind of entails us like the people that try to do Five different business models, dude. Like, mm. uh, I'm not talking about, yeah. listen, I believe there is, I mean, I see it, right? Uh, people that have success selling everything, but they know, they accept the fact they're an everything seller. I'm talking about the people here that are like, okay, I sell shoes, right? So I, I, I enjoy selling shoes, but I think there is this opportunity if I decided I'm going to start selling one shoe instead of two shoes. Um, so I'm just going to sell one shoe of the pair. And then they also have this crazy idea of, well, yeah, I sell shoes. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to sell some laces now. I'm just going to sell the laces of shoes. Right. And then all of a sudden your time goes from you're selling pairs of shoes normally. Now you think, oh, I got this cool idea. I'm going to sell the laces. I'm going to sell one left shoe only. Like, and then all of a sudden you're gone because your focus is in a million different places and you can't give a hundred percent to multiple things. You're right. There's only so much mental real estate uh, you can assign yourself. Like even I'm guilty of this. Like I spent a lot of time last year figuring out how to play the eBay game better. And you know what? It was I learned some stuff, but the time I put in, I don't think was worth the time I was putting in versus just doing what I always did. Um, and then I ran a lot of experiments. Again, I don't think you shouldn't run experiments from time to time. But the amount of experiments I did last year to try to figure out I'm missing something. I, I know I'm missing something. If I figure this out, it's going to be a huge win in success. Marginal success at best uh, from all those experimentations I did. But again, I'm not saying don't experiment and don't be innovative. I'm not saying that. But allocate a small amount of time versus a large amount of time to things like that. I think the difference is between you and the average person is that your experiments – Okay, I'm giving it a month. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go back, see if it works. I think the problem is people, they don't commit to the experiment. They say, I'm going to fiddle faddle. I'm going to list laces once, whenever I feel like doing it, right? I'm going to see if my shoelaces sell whenever I feel like doing it. And it's just, a, it's in perpetual. It's never, it's never taken back off the table, but you really never put it on the table to begin with because you didn't give it an actual chance. I always tell everybody, yeah, you got to give it a shot. You got to give it a long duration. And some of my experiments I thought were a little too short. Again, I usually give it about 30 days. And if I see some marginal success, I'll let it run a little longer. Um, but you only have X amount of time in your lifetime. How much are you going to devote to finding some piece of information out? The, the time argument just turns into burnout. And burnout means you quit reselling. That's basically when I say, you know, you know, you you don't leverage your time or use your time. You just get burnt out. And then you're like, well, to heck with this. I'm not doing it. And it all kind of boils back down to the money you're making. 
if if I'm going to sit here and tell any reseller, hey, you're going to make $100 an hour, here's exactly what you need to do every hour to make $100 an hour. And there was an, a, a list that says, okay, you're going to do these five steps. And every hour, a $100 bill prints out from your computer. Everybody would do it. But that's not the case at reselling. You have to do your, you have to find your own way, build your own processes and see what works. And, you know, most resellers make over $50 an hour. I think that's kind of like a, a, a safe point that a lot of people fall into is, hey, I want to make at least $50 an hour, which is well above, you know, if we decided to go out and get a job or, you know, if I was a store manager at CVS, you know, there's a, there's a lot of potential to make a lot of money doing this. But you have to be focused and time and burnout is one of those things. And like you were so knee deep in eBay last year. Like, I mean, you're working 14 hour days. I can't even begin to fathom sitting down for 14 hours a day and working in an eBay business. And like that might be lazy, short sighted of me, but there's no way I would last more than like a week. So like what was your mentality day in, day out? Because I know you weren't taking days off. I know you were sick and you were still working. So like. What did you tell yourself? Were you just like looking at the end game? Like, hey, I'm going to be making $20,000 a month at the end of this. So this is what this is what I got to do to get there. Like, what was your motivation to every day get up and go sit and for 14 hours and deal with eBay? It's hard for me to answer that because it, it took out it took a lot out of me. Um, I think the main motivational drive is I have to do this. I have a purpose to fulfill what I said I was going to do, um, my own personal goals, and everything else doesn't matter. I gotta, I gotta do what I said I was going to do. No excuses, and that's a line from Tech. No excuses, right? Um, but I, I took that really to heart, and I just did it every day. It sucked. There were days I did not want to do what I was doing. It was, it was very rough. I probably aged about ten years last year. Um, <laughs> uh, it was exhausting, tiring, um, but I learned so much. I got better for it. I became a little more jaded, certainly. Um, but it showed me if I push myself to the limit, what is possible, um, or what is impossible <laughs> is what a lot of, what of that what was a lot of the takeaway. And it, it really instilled into me, yes, I can have goals, but being able to shift uh, or objectives rather, not goals. If I see something not working, I need to open my eyes to what I know is working for others. And the more simpler the thing is, usually the more profitable it is, was my big takeaway from last year. Like I knew there's money in Amazon. I avoided Amazon all last year because I just wanted to spend a whole year focusing on eBay. And I shut that down probably into September to go back into Amazon. Um, I didn't give it the full year. Um, I gave eBay as much as I could put in, and it wasn't good enough for me, uh, the results I was wanting to get out of it. Um, and that's not to say what I was doing was 100% right, but I was trying everything under the sun. I was trying more listings. I was trying higher-end listings. I was playing around with promoted. I was playing around with newsletters, all the tools available to me. Um and at the end of the day, I determined that the book market, just the book market, was a very slow turnaround time. Didn't, didn't matter how much I was slinging up, despite that sale that just happened. Um, it's only going to output me X. 
and, and running the numbers on what X would be, what my store size would need to be. I would need something to the equivalent of about 70,000 active listings to get where I wanted to be. So I knew what I could do, even if I was to scale a staff, but let's just say I maintain. It would take me roughly about seven and a half years. And I was like, hmm, that is a lot of time. Can I do what I'm doing now for another seven and a half years? I came to the conclusion, I don't want to do that. Um, so I, I moseyed myself back into Amazon, and I think I've been better for it. That's not to say I don't do eBay. I do. But I put a lot less time into it than I did. Now, that doesn't mean I can't pivot back in when I want to. And I have plans to revamp up my eBay store um, more so on the cross-listing route. But it's not that I was stubborn. It was just I needed to trust and verify for myself what the reality of this really was. And only by doing what I did last year, putting myself fully into it, like, okay, this is this is what it is. And there's nothing I can do to change it. I tried to change it. I tried to force it, but it is what it is. I mean, I don't, I'm still amazed you're, you're sitting here today, all those hours you're putting in, because you were, you were going seven days a week, right? You weren't no days off. No days off. I, I mean, I, that's, that's just insane to me. And it, it kind of gets you back to, you know, what, what motivates you and like, what kind of gets you to where you want to be. And when you start out reselling, I think an overlooked thing here and, I used to say you could start, you know, the whole, oh, sell stuff around your house first thing. But I do think cash flow is a huge problem when you start out reselling because yeah. you don't pay attention to sell through because you really don't know what you're doing. And even even I even argue this people that have been around forever, uh, their cash flow sucks because they want to try to get every single penny out of every single item. And I'm here to tell you, regardless of what category you sell in. Unless you're selling super high-end, desirable Rolex watches, uh, highly collectible items, you need to take the the lower amount of money and sell through your items quicker. I'm here to tell you this because I get this all the time. Um, for those that sell on Amazon, you can build like a trigger set software that tells you whether or not you should buy something. So I, I have it set up to if something sells once every six months, that's going to pop green and say, you should buy this item. So I get this all the time. Well, I come across a lot of this, you know, one it sells once every six months items. And I tell everybody, it is there for you to take a look at what's in front of you. You cannot buy all items that only sell once every six months. You will be bankrupt within the month. It's just not feasible. It's in there for you to take a second look at something, see if it makes sense. Uh, Cause there's different factors that go into this, but cash flow. People people love spending money at thrift stores on stuff, but they don't they don't love it coming back in because that takes the work and cash flow will sink you, especially in media. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of items you're buying every single year, even at an average buy cost of a dollar. That's ten thousand dollars if you if you buy and send in ten thousand items, ten thousand dollars coming out of your pocket. What are you doing to get that to come back in? And a lot of people spend more money. Uh, we there, You can only find stuff at thrift stores, Johnny. There, you can't source from anywhere else. Well, guess who has the most highest prices when it comes to sourcing? Thrift the stores. thrift stores. So we don't care about spending $7. Oh, now I can buy this shirt for $7 and I'm going to make, I'm going to 100% ROI. I'm going to sell it and I'm going to make an extra seven on top of that. That's not the reality of it. 
Um, and I think a lot of people get caught up with that, especially when it comes to like best offers on eBay. Like, okay, I bought the shirt for seven bucks. I'm going to sell it for 20. You list it at 20. Someone sends you an offer for 15. You take the offer. All of a sudden, that initial, you know, mindset you had, you're going to make the seven dollars. It really isn't seven dollars. Cash flow is the most important thing in reselling. If you don't got it, you ain't, you're not going to exist. You might, you might like hover around for like three months, maybe a season, but you're going to get to that point where you ain't got no money coming in. Right. And I think about us being full-time, we got to cover the bills, right? It covers the rent, covers every, every expense we have in life. It's the reselling profits that we have to spend. So not only do we need cash flow to buy more inventory, we need cash flow to survive, right? My cats, I got to feed my cats and they don't eat the cheap stuff. They eat like $3 canned cat food. So like I'm out there thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, I, I got a hundred books I'm sending in today. My average profit on these books is 10 bucks. Okay. That's a thousand bucks in my pocket. Like I think in the terms of numbers, like how much money am I going to get back out of these items? And people don't care about cash flow, dude. They're just like, oh, I'll go buy whatever I want at whatever price. And I just have this crazy number I think I'm going to get for it. Right. I mean, there's three ways to make money in this business. And I'm going to reference Mr. Tech. He put out a public video. It's available to the public. You should all go watch public that video. Yeah, it's, it's tech with the marker board. That's all it is. It's a great video. Um, but you can sell a bajillion $5 items and make money. You could sell a small amount of items that cost a lot to make a lot of money. Then the third one, which is the hardest, and which is what I was trying to do, and I kind of smiled when I saw that video. Hey, that's what I was trying to do. And it's the hardest one to do is you're going to list items, but you're going to wait a really long time for them to sell. They're all going to sell at some point, but the desirability and turnover for those items is really slow. And there were... It's kind of like the ASP model, just with a slower sell-through rate, um, and it's more so in the collectible market. And this is what I was trying to do, and it does work, but I decided the amount of work and time investment, I wasn't cut out for it. I thought I was when I started. I'm like, this is going to be fun. I'm going to make so much money, and I was, uh, and I made okay money. Don't get me wrong, um, but it is hard, and it's a grind, and you got to wait, and it's frustrating and waiting. I'm not a patient. I well, I'll take that back. I am a patient individual to a point. And I decided after doing it for a couple years that my patience had run out. And I was seeing it work very slowly. Very, very slowly. And I've tried and again, just not trying to make it this episode all about me, but I tried to make it work. I really did and speed it up any way I could. And it just didn't work at the end of the day. Well, it worked. It's just I didn't want to wait the time. That it was going to take for it to fully work. I think uh, I think you hit it on the head. It's a balancing act of figuring out where your cash flow is going to come from, right? Because I was talking about I uh, every once in a while I'll buy an item that sells once every six months. This is not you know a huge part of my business, but there are opportunities in the market. Like hey, if you look something up on eBay, maybe it's a fifty dollar vintage shirt, right? Uh, you see there's, you know, one listed and maybe five or like one listed, one sold over the past 90 days. So like, yeah, the sell through is like, oh, yeah, look, one's listed, one sold, 100 percent sell through. But that's one over the past 90 days. And I think I'd be willing to bet, dude, this is this is a hot take. I don't even care. I know a lot of people listening are a little bit more experienced than reselling. But I think a lot of new people 
they don't even look at the they don't even look at the sold comps dude like it's almost as if when you go to like a garage sale or a flea market and they're like well this is going for five hundred dollars on ebay i think a lot of new sellers are the same way they scan something and they just see the listed on ebay and they're like oh yeah money 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 and then you go to sold and there's like there's 500 listed and there's one sold and it's sold for like three dollars <laughs> Right. So here, here's an example. Let's say this book in my hand. For those just listening and not watching the YouTube video, I'm sorry. You're, we're going to get a little less out of what I'm about to say. So you should watch the video. There you go. Subscribe while you're at it. So this book right here, uh, let's say it sells $5 in 30 days. Great. I could have a lot of these and make $5 off of all of them in 30 days. This book right here uh, sells for... $60, not $5, but it had it sells in 90 days, exactly like you're talking about. Hey, this is having a lot of I'm gonna get a lot less of these than the first one I showed you, right? At five dollars guaranteed to sell within 30 days. Then this book right here sells once every two years, but it's worth two hundred dollars. This is what I was trying to do, folks, is get a lot of these. And list a lot of these, but the turnaround time for these bigger ticket items that have a slow, slow, slow sell through rate, it works, but it's slow. It's, you got you got to know that going into doing that. You're gonna make a lot of money once your store size is gigantic, because once you have X amount of two year sell through rate items, a gigantic bandwidth store. Hey, hey, there you go. That's what I'm talking about right there. But that journey. I tried it, not for me. You would have to basically wait two years to see any kind of real results, right? So right. we're looking at two years sell through. You're basically anything, you know, it's uh it all boils down to a balancing act. Um, like you said, tech says it all the time. All the models work, who do you want to be? Exactly. Pick a lane I, I, and run with it. Like if you want there's perfectly fine. You want to make a dollar per item? That's yeah, literally. get a million of them. Get a million of them. There's there no go. problem with that. Just understand that every item takes effort to list, to source, right? So you have to value your time at the end of the day. Sell through and, you know, ASP and cash flow in a reselling business. I mean, that's basically, it's almost the only thing that matters is cash, right? Because we're talking about, you know, why you're going to fail at reselling. It's because you ain't making no money at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Nobody does this as like a charity. No, no one does. Um. And I think what, going back to the main point here of why people fail, um, I think I think they get focused on where they could be and not where they are. And it's that journey in that middle. Kind of like when you walk into a graveyard, you see a dash between someone's when they're born and when they're dead. It's that dash. That's what's going to make or break you in reselling is that journey. Um, and people try it and decide it's not for them. And that's okay. You can you can get into this. You can also get out of it. You don't have to overcommit, or you can't. You don't have to overcommit to staying in your lane. Let's say you're a clothing seller, but you just can't do clothes. It's okay to shift out of it. If Mike came to me, you know what? You know what? I'm done with media. I'm gonna go sell toys. I'd be like, great. Take what you've learned out of selling media, apply it to your toys, and figure out what's specific to toys and add that to what you already know. Good for you, Mike. I'm glad you're a toy seller. Uh-huh. You never know, dude. I get it all the time. When are you going to stop selling media? Then I'm just like, nah, I got this figured out. I think there is a lot to be said. Um, 
I'm not, it's it's your motivating factors, right? For me, it's money. Uh, everybody knows I'm not a huge reader. I don't have a I don't even have a bookcase full of books. I have a little stack back there, um, maybe ten books that I have that are you know my personal collection. So for me, the money and the processes I've developed is what motivates me. And for you, it might be different, right? I always tell everybody do something you're passionate about. If you you like music, sell CDs. If you're into fashion, sell clothing. You're in your sneakerhead, sell sneaks. You like vintage. She do something that you're passionate about. It's going to make reselling so much easier. I'm just, I'm just like Mr. Krabs, dude. I'm so passionate about a dollar bill that honestly, I probably could have started with anything and stuck with it. If I seen money in it, right? Like there's nothing better than buying stuff for under a dollar and selling it for, you know, a hundred bucks. So that's where my passion comes from. And yeah, you're going to transfer, you know, the things you've learned over time. But I think we're going to wrap it up here. We appreciate everybody, you know, listening, liking the videos, leaving us five-star reviews on the podcast, wherever you're at in the universe. And uh, yeah, this was a good chat. And I think, you know, Johnny, Johnny's been through it all. You know, he kind of gave you a little bit of his backstory last year on eBay. And you have to make changes if things don't work as a new reseller. And cash flow is the only thing that matters. Uh, Johnny, you got any, I'm going to let you have the Jerry Springer final thought of this episode. Sure. Um, go with what you know, and don't be afraid if it's not working to stop whatever's not working and start anew. Um, it it wishing for the best and hoping your failure will succeed is foolhardy. Don't be afraid to let it fail and move forward. That's what I got. Plain and simple. We appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you in next week's episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Reseller's Mindset Podcast. Today's full episode and all previous episodes are available to all YouTube members along with the weekly Zoom call and private Discord. Head on over to youtube.com backslash the used book guy and consider joining for as little as $2.99 a month.